The Shop, a Moto Podcast. What's up, guys? Episode three, The Shop. Can't believe we've made three of these things now. What's up, Grayson? What's up? How you doing? I'm good, bud. Uh, how was your weekend? It was good. Went to Seven Springs, rode some woods. It was relaxing. It's nice to get through something different. So I was running moto all the time, and uh, it helped help you think a lot. I can see why older guys ride woods, and it's like relaxing. If you're not racing, obviously, but you're just relaxing. You can ride, take your time, stop when you want. It's, it seems better than moto sometimes. Yeah, um, riding in the woods is fun. You know, my dad's got a place that a bunch of guys in his area, they go to his place. They don't want to pay or anything, so they all go ride. It seems like a lot of those guys really enjoy that. They're just out having fun on their motorcycle, um, out in you know, out in the trees, and not having to worry about anything else. Just out enjoying life on a motorcycle. And I think uh, a lot of moto guys, if they're if they did that some, it's kind of like the free riding thing out west. You know, a lot of those guys do that because they want to have fun. They they want to put the fun back into it. So they go and they go free ride and have fun. And you know, here we can't really free ride, but you can go ride in the, you can go ride trails. You go ride in the woods. Go to some public land and uh but a lot of moto guys kind of hate on that it's like oh you're not going to track and you know but I, it it does help you uh i used to train a lot in the woods when i would when i was trying to be a pro and you know 30 minute motos are pretty boring and uh, especially when it's on the same track yeah. several times a week so i would i would hit some woods loops and uh it would kind of break it up a little bit yeah i thought about my technique a lot and stuff feels like a change even going to moto it's like standing up more and trying to figure out stuff with my technique that i learned in the woods that i could still do in moto yeah cool well uh was there a lot of people at uh seven springs right that's it yeah uh, probably 200 300 people it was super packed scott did a good job this year of spreading the word and uh had a lot of side-by-sides out there which i freaking hate them hate side-by-sides there's there's 90 percent 90%, 90% of them are like cool and they're just gonna like do their thing and like go slow and and stop when they want and they can drink their beer and I don't care about that you go have fun but the other 10% you would sit there and they would sit there and uh, like we would catch up to them fast and then they would slow down gas real quick to throw, throw rocks and stuff at us and it pissed me off really well and uh, I if I hate them. I really do. Hold on. <laughs> you got to tell people about the throw in the mud thing now because <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so we kept doing that three or four times and it uh, pissed me off real well. And so I got uh, uh, a section where obviously I'm faster than and uh, reach under my fender, grab a thing of mud. And they have to wear helmets, but not goggles. And so they got, I uh, reached under my fender, got a handful of mud and threw it right in their eyes. <laughs> it, it pissed me off to a certain point. <laughs> And I don't care for him at all. Uh, sometimes you get what you get. So. <laughs> That's really funny. But, uh, yeah, so Grayson had his weekend at Seven Springs riding. And uh, I even – it wasn't Donnie letting him off work. I let him off work oh, Friday no. to go ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, – and then uh, I, as normal, didn't get to really go anywhere this weekend. Had stuff to do. My wife had to work Saturday. And uh, – but the kids rode at the house. We uh, luckily can ride at the house, so they motoed at the house all weekend. Uh, but there was a lot of racing going on, finally. Yeah. Um, we had the big one at Silver Dollar in Georgia, Matt Walker's deal, and uh, they had 917 entries, which is 
huge a for a um, normal race. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it wasn't a local race. It was obviously like a regional-based race. Yeah. I looked at results, looked at names. There's kids from all over the East Coast. Uh, so uh, it, it, was, it was a bigger, you know, promoted race. A lot of people went that aren't just going to go to a normal race in Georgia. Um, they did have about 50 classes, so that helps when everybody's riding three and four classes. Yeah. Um, and that'll get me onto one thing before we talk about Silver Dollar. I posted on my Facebook about... Can we get away from tracks posting their entry numbers versus how many riders they have? And some of the people, it's like they take it wrong. I'm not trying to bash on anybody. I'm not trying to say that. But if you're a potential sponsor, outside sponsor, looking at this sport, or your potential people wanting to get involved in dirt bike racing, those numbers are not true because it's not a true number of how many people are there. And I've had track owners comment on it and say, well, you know, you could probably cut it in half. That's true. And, and, you know, at a local regular race, that's probably right. But at these bigger regional-style races like that, mm. a lot of these kids are riding three classes. Oh, and some yeah. of them are riding four. So I would say you would cut it in almost in thirds. So I would guess there was, and I talked to some people that were there, about 400 actual different riders there. Which is big. That's yeah. very big. But, yeah. I mean, some GNCC race has 900 individual riders or something, you know. So like, because you can only ride one class. Exactly. So I mean, it's it, you know the scale of how people want to think motocross is big. It's not as big as you all think, and it's not a bash. It's just we need to know this as a fact to grow the sport. To know that we're not that big. We're actually pretty small, and we need to understand that we are small. We need to understand that we need more people riding, and. You just have to face the facts. They are what they are. Um, and I think that that was my thing. Just, look, we, we need to put what the real facts are out there and uh, not be afraid of them and show people. So then they know what they're getting involved into. They're not thinking they're getting involved in something that's going to be way more lucrative than it actually is. And I think that's, that's where you see a lot of your outside sponsors that get involved in Supercross and stuff, and then they only last a few years because – they from the outside i think they think it looks really good and then they get involved and like oh man there's not really a lot of people involved in this sport there's not really a lot of people that are going to buy my product so like you know um that's why the tv thing's big they want to be on tv because they think somebody watching it but to me only people that are going to buy that product are your diehards and we don't have a lot of diehards so you gotta you we've got to build that um and that's enough with that uh I did want to kind of talk about Silver Dollar a little bit. We had some local kids that went there. Cade Pedigo was there. Uh, he actually got a fifth in 65-79, which was pretty good, having 20-something kids in that class. And it's, like I said, more of a regional-based race, and him getting a top five, That's uh, that was that was good for him. Uh, the Littles were there, uh, Brett and Brady. I think uh, Brady is the faster one, the one. I, I don't think his brother rode. I think it was just him that rode. Um, I think he had some crashes and stuff because he's the same speed as Cade. Uh, they finished like 15 and 16, I think, in the open class, and I didn't see where he was exactly at. He was further back in the 7 to 9, so he obviously had some crashes in that one. Um, Mackenzie was there. Uh, she got 1-3 in the women's class, which was good for second overall. Um, she's young for that class and then she won the girls class and i think she also rode like super mini uh got like 11th or 12th or something i mean hey that super mini was probably 30 something kids in there and she's you know the only girl uh, you know running up front like that and 
I saw that you're, you, we talked about uh, Daxon Bennett last weekend or last week on the pod, and I uh, saw he was in the top three. Um, the one class was at uh, Schoolboy Two. Yeah. That was Nate Thrasher, uh, Daxton Bennett, Engage, yeah, Engage Limble. So I mean, top three there. That's possibly could be the top three at Loretta's. Like that's yeah. that that's a fast class. Uh, so it looked like his big bike debut was good. Um, I know Ryan's uh, Ryan Clark's kids, Bubba and Christian. Uh, not really exactly sure what their results were. They were there. He's called me. Said they had a good time. They learned. Um, and. Uh, I think that might have been all the locals that I know for sure were there. I saw Casey Johnson was there. He's, you know, in the, in the vet classes, my guy. Uh, I think he got second in plus 25, but then he got, like, fourth in plus 30. Dude, plus 30 is, man, it's way more stacked than 25. It's like all these dudes are coming out of retirement to, yeah. to ride plus 30. Like, <laughs> you better watch you know? out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, look, they had a, looked like they had a really good race there. Uh, Matt Walker's a genius, by the way. I hadn't told you this, but I'm not a huge fan of the guy. I mean, just for uh, different reasons. But um, for him is like a having his school and like the race. So they had this race, and then oh, he's got this week long camp. The week after, all these people uh, are at his race. Yeah, because the pedagogues and the littles they're, they're still there at his thing. So like, oh, oh yeah, I've seen posts that they've had. And there's tons of kids there. It's like yeah. that was genius. Yeah. Have a race and then have a camp afterwards. Like at so, Sil- all these people stay. No, at uh, I think at his facility. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's like so all these kids stay. And that reminded me, uh, Casey Cochran was there. Casey won his classes, so Casey was a local kid to us. Not now, but he was. So uh, kind of, it's cool to see that you know um, this area has you know did produce these kids that grew up. You know, which he was really young when they moved, but still, when he was winning Loretta's and stuff, he was still living in Memphis. So. Uh, for his first Loretta's titles. Um, they had the arena cross in Corinth. Um, I, I know, I think I saw Tinley McCoy was there. I think she won a class. She won the 65 class, which is kind of different, but hey, yeah. uh, wins a win. Um, looked like some of the same people that they, that local wise that battle in the 50 classes. Uh, um, Van was there. I think he won the 50 class. Uh, but they had, uh, 152 entries at the Corinth Arena Cross, which is that's for around here. That's pretty good, especially that yeah, you know. Arena yeah, it was a little different because um, it was outside, um, but it was you know in like an outdoor arena. And then with Nims being right down the road, racing on Saturday night too, I think that kind of you know they kind of pulled from each other a little bit. Yeah. It didn't affect the Arena Cross as bad as it did Nims though. I know some people that went to Nims and it was not good. Uh, Sutton Bald uh, Sutton Baldwin went. And uh, he won several classes on a 65, and uh, his dad told me he even rode with the 85 class because there wasn't a, there wasn't very many people there. Um, it wasn't advertised real well, and uh, you know that, that's the thing with uh, with two races being 30 minutes apart, racing on the same weekend. You're gonna have uh, stuff like that. Yeah, you're gonna have that, and you know just uh, whoever. Whichever place people want to go to more is going to get the more crowd. Uh, whichever place maybe promoted a little harder is going to get the crowd. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate that um, tracks don't pay attention to what other tracks are doing and kind of work with each other and try and race on opposite weekends so everybody can re- – it, it doesn't just 
affect the tracks. It affects the local riders, you know, I mean, yeah. with bigger gates and uh, having a place to go each weekend that's actually local, not having to travel all the time. Um, so uh, that was what happened over the weekend, kind of in the southeast and in, in our area. Um, so the big news, I guess, that came out this week, Supercross is back. Supercross, uh, so excited. I can't wait. <laughs> It's going to be good. It's going to be something different and uh, excited to see. Watch it multiple times a week and go watch it on Wednesday night and then come back and we'll talk about it all day Thursday and then talk about what's going to happen Sunday. You know? Yeah, I think it's going to be cool to be able to watch during the week. Like, uh, it'll, you know, it'll just, I don't know, keep the, keep the excitement. I know it's going to kind of suck for the riders to have to be in Utah the whole time racing, yeah. you know. I mean, to me – not that big of a deal to have a few days in between they can't go home they're used to they're they're gonna be kind of out of their elements a little bit they can't go home and train or whatever privateers won't be it'll just be normal for them but for uh for the factory guys yeah they'll be kind of out of their element a little bit but it's cool that it's coming back um and they're gonna get it done and uh i'm kind of excited to see some race some real racing supercross wise come back and uh who do you who you think's gonna take it grayson Um, I got to put my money on Tomac. I mean, it's hard not to. You're going to have elevation, a hard pack track. I mean, even though he's the most – even if he gets there and his bike setup is off, it's going to be – he's one of the, the guys that don't really deal well with, like, adapting. And so uh, – but, I mean, your elevation and him training in Colorado and being that close to Colorado, I think he's going to – he's going to pull one off. And hopefully they all – everybody stays safe and healthy and – because I mean, things can happen when you're racing twice a week, and uh, if you have like, I hope just the whole, I hope the top three Tomac, Roxon, and Webb stay healthy and don't get hurt. Because I mean, I think it's gonna be a good race and good series to finish out. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter to me who wins or not. But man, I really want Roxon to win. I'm a Roxon homer. I like the guy. Uh, I think he's really good for the sport. And with all the injuries and stuff, it's just like that. You need those stories in our sport to where, like, you know, people thought he'd never ride again. He would, you know, never be normal again. And then now he's back. He has won now. Like, if he could win a championship, it's like this is just like it's just, you know, the Cinderella story that you, you know, kind of look for. But then, too, I don't I don't really want Tomac to not win a title, like a 450 Supercross title. I think he deserves to win a 450 Supercross title. And I don't, I don't want him to be one of those guys that, like, he won all these races, but he could never make the title, and he retires in two, three years. And it's just, like, I don't know. I, I think the guy deserved to win a title. Um, and uh, But I think, man, the both of them are, you know, they can't, they can't mess around here the next – this year, the following year, and, and year three because, uh, I mean, with Webb being there and you're going to have some other guys start to come in and getting better – and it's going to be harder to win and harder to get these titles. Good 250 riders coming up. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it seems like a lot are moving up. You're going to have, like, McElrath is moving out. Friend is moving out. Sexton already has his deal with Honda. He's coming out. And uh, you have a lot of guys point out. And so the 450 class is going to get stacked with riders. And there's too many riders that have rides. So you're not, who's going to be where and everything like that. These team owners are going to have a big decision to make who they want to keep and uh personally i i i have a way i would do it but i mean i'm i'm not making billions of dollars to make that decision so i'm just gonna keep it to myself 
Uh, yeah. So, all right, real quick, what about the 250 classes? 250 East, 250 West, who you got? Even though I hate Ferrandez, and not because he's French or not racist. I, I hated him before everything. He just I, I, Something about him, just I don't like him. And, uh, but he's probably going to win it, and uh, I'd have to put Sexton winning the other one. I don't think McElrath's going to come out and uh, change a lot from – what he was doing before the break and so yeah okay so I, I'll agree on who most likely is going to win um, but I'll say this I w- it would be awesome if RJ his knee wasn't jacked up and RJ could come in and, and stir the pot a little bit on the east coast stuff yeah. with Sexton and uh, McElrath I mean, you still have J-Mart start the pot. Yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, J-Mart would be good some, but he's not, like, the consistent guy there every weekend. Um, but it would be it would be really cool if uh, RJ could get in. But I, I know just having ACL surgery, I don't I don't see him. I mean, I don't even know that he'll even will, – will even be competitive. Um, but, so, yeah, on that side, I'm, I'm with you. I don't – I like Shane, um, but I just don't know that he's quite the level – talent-wise and stuff of what Sexton is. So, yeah. yeah, you can work hard, but, if I mean, if the other guy that has more talent is working just as hard as you and is mentally just as strong as you, then yeah, yeah. it's really hard to, can, you know, just the guy's just got more talent. It's just part of it. Um, and then on West Coast, um, yeah, my guy, Dylon. <laughs> Dude, Dylan's fast. Yeah, like I, it's, He is, it, and you can't take it away from him. And you're going to have guys like – I like Fortner. I've watched Fortner growing up, and uh, – I just liked him and the monster. Him marrying a monster chick it just makes me root for him because that's badass. And uh, he's just like a kid like me, and where I like him. Yeah, I like Fortner. Uh, you know, I I was lucky enough to get to go and ride Supercross at Canards at one point and back in the day. And when I went, uh, Fortner was there. He was like ten or eleven years old on an eighty-five, and he's jumping everything on the Supercross track. I'm like, are you serious with this kid right now? And uh, Chase Marquier was there, too, and they're on 85s. Just I'm like, dude, this is kind of unreal, the stuff they're jumping on 85s. And he was a little kid then. I think he had only won Loretta's once maybe by then. Uh, I mean, he was he was known, but he wasn't as quite as popular yet. But uh, he was team green and stuff. And uh, so kind of, you know, right, practicing with him some, which he didn't know who I am. And, and, you know, he would never remember anything like that. But uh, it was pretty cool. Um, and then to see what he's grown up into and, you know, I know he's got a lot of haters for whatever reason, but I do, I like the pro circuit team. I like Mitch. They deserve a championship. I like Fortner. I just, I, I just don't know if he can quite go the speed die line goes yeah. and, and keep it on two wheels. And, uh, you know, we'll see. And then I guess Cooper's the wild card. I think Cooper can get in there and with the other two making mistakes, Cooper can get in there and be consistent and possibly sneak some points in here. Yeah, I think he's. He's a little far out, though, compared to where Fortner and stuff are. So, uh, yeah, yeah like, he gets good starts. He so. does. I, I, I'll put him in a championship contender for the outdoors easily. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's definitely he, a better outdoor rider than yeah. Supercross. And it might just be because he grew up a little different than your average guy. Yeah. He didn't live at a facility. He wasn't thinking he's going to, you know, get this pro deal and all at 16 years old. I mean, he was, you know – he, it was his way was kind of more how we need to be, how it needs yeah. to be. But, um, but yeah, okay, so uh, I guess that's that on the Supercross Talk. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. 
I've been to many big name schools, and the funnest and most helpful school I've been to is Jake Riley MX School. He turned good technique into a habit that I use every day. The coaching of Jake never turns off. Every time we ride, he gives me tips and advice to be more in control, which makes me go faster. If you're looking for an affordable school, don't look any further than Jake Lowry MX School. Have a motorcycle, ATV, or side-by-side -side that needs service? Need a shop that has parts in stock? Cycle Service Plus has you covered. Cycle Service Plus has been in business for 33 years and is the longest-running shop in the Jackson metro area. From same-day tire and oil changes to complete engine rebuilds, Cycle Service Plus has you covered. Call them today at 601-939-5077. So on the commercial break here, uh, I was thinking and came up with something that we talked about last week, which is Moto Fight Club, and, uh, you know, Grayson thought I would just get worked by everybody, so he wanted everybody to write in, had a few people write in, and I think most people thought I would be a little closer than what Grayson was saying, uh, but another one thing I thought of um, was where the track was at. So I was like, I didn't know where it was at until, you know, sometime the first of this week. I saw on somebody's Instagram post that it was at Youngstown MX in Ohio. Dude, I've been there. Oh my god! <laughs> so Grayson of doesn't. You have. Yeah. So Grayson didn't know any of this before before we started doing this podcast. So this is a surprise to him. So I went there back in I think. 2009 I would say uh, 2008 or 2009 no it would have been, it would have been 2009 um, so I was with Kyle Gills and uh, I, I would say Dustin was probably with us too we were in Ohio staying at their aunt and uncle's house where we always stayed when we were uh, were trying to race in the northeast doing the outdoor national circuit um, and so we were always trying to find tracks to practice and that track was open and I remember going there and it's like we like go to this industrial park and it's like where is this like and we get there and it was a pretty good track but it was like a freestyle course in the middle of it and i'm like is this for real and there was dudes actually jumping the freestyle jump in the middle of it and uh it was kind of sketchy because they would land on the freestyle jump and like big almost coming head on at you <laughs> so it didn't clue me in at all that it's in ohio has freestyle jumps in the middle because they had the freestyle jumps there yeah. it didn't clue me in at all of anything and then i saw the post and i'm like wait I've Youngstown MX like I've been there so I had to hit up Kyle Gills and I was like dude Moto Fight Club was at Youngstown MX that's the track we went to that had the freestyle ramps and all and he's like yeah for sure that's where we went so yep so see Grayson I would have had an advantage on everybody else because I'd ridden there before that still doesn't matter <laughs> I don't care what you say you could say that could be your hometown track that you could they can come out to Ira's and they would still smoke you they went it wouldn't be close it's still pretty cool that I rode at Youngstown MX, same place Moto Fight Club was. Cool. You rode it. You did the Nationals, too. <laughs> you wanted cookie? Uh, all right, enough with uh, me giving Grayson a hard time. <laughs> so we need to uh, talk about some of the upcoming practices and races that are coming up this coming weekend. Uh, well, we have three or four tracks riding and uh, one track racing but the weather doesn't look good no matter where you go in the southeast so it's gonna be kind of a bummer but uh some tracks will hold it better than others like monster mountain will hold will be practicing and uh it holds water really good and uh i'm sure the track track maintenance there is going to be really well uh 
And then uh, Fast Farms is racing. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be a pretty big event at Fast Farms. Yeah. Uh, it's a two-day. They say it's like a – they're trying to do it like a regional. So it's a two-day event. Um, the classes on Saturday would be the same classes. Like if you went to an area qualifier, it's going to be the same classes on Saturday as it would be at an area on Saturday. And the same thing on Sunday. They are going to have some support classes where like if, if you have a 50 rider – he doesn't just sit around on Sunday. He does have 50 open. He can ride on Sunday. So, um, the only thing. Also, other races coming up is uh, Arena Cross, Riverside, and West Memphis is having a two-day race. Well, two separate races, one Saturday, one Sunday. And uh, Rod's put on that event. And it's going to be outdoors, so the rain's probably going to hit it. And it's going to be a little sketchy riding Arena Cross, muddy Arena Cross. Yeah, hopefully, I don't know, it's scattered scattered thunderstorms everywhere, so hopefully not. I know it is, seems like the weather will be worse more north than it is south. I've looked at stuff south, um, and it's not as great of chances down south Mississippi, Louisiana, stuff like that. But, man, I looked at Fast Farms, and it was it's already been raining there this week, and uh, it's supposed to, from the last I looked, the chances were, you know, greater than 50% every day, and that's... Uh, I mean, hey, if you're trying to go to Loretta's, it's good training. Yeah, mud, mud but, riding. Yeah, like you were saying about the arena cross. I don't know. Um, I'm not trying to go do arena cross, and it's going to be raining. But yeah, I I don't don't let that deter anybody from going. If they're if you're local to the mid south area and you're doing their, you know, uh, go and support Rob. Go to his, you know, go to the arena cross. Uh, it's going to be a bigger track than the normal ones. They have more room. Uh, it's pretty cool that he's getting into some of these areas and and doing these arena crosses where normally, you know, you wouldn't be able to do them at. And uh, anybody else uh, going to be open? Uh, Wildwood, MX, and Louisiana's racing. So you said the weather's going to be good. Uh, just, I think they're just practicing. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Practice. Yeah, it's just practice. And you said the weather's going to be good So uh, uh, in South Louisiana, so you can hook that one up, and it might be perfect for Wildwood. Yeah, all right. Uh, that moves us in to um, – our topics of this week so my first one today is uh actually a write-in from uh Derek Corkin and he wanted to know about dealing with a serious injury and coming back to riding or racing from a serious injury um so I have unfortunately had what I guess you could call a serious injury uh, I broke my femur back in 2008 and um How'd you break your femur, Jake? Uh, I endowed on a jump at Monster Mountain <laughs> <laughs> on the Supercross track that no one was supposed to be riding on. But, you know, um, me and Johnny Moore, Justin Weeks, were had been riding on it all day. Nobody had said anything. Um, and actually, I was in the A class. They were both still in the B class. So they were having practice on the big track, but they had it was practice um, – before a race so they had it separated and uh my practice was not it was a b practice so they were out there riding so i didn't want to sit around at the camper by myself board so i went out doing laps and i'd done a bunch of hard laps and then was just kind of cruising and uh the honda bog got me it was a thing that uh 07 and 08 hondas would do uh they'd get a bubble in the float bowl it would suck it up in the pilot jet and it would bog on you and it did it right on the face of a step up that um, it wasn't a big step up, but I was hitting it pretty fast and over jumping it and uh there was whoops after it and I landed. Uh and this is Johnny Moore told me that when he got there, like 
he said I was probably about 75 feet from the face of the jump, and my bike was about 100 feet from it. I mean, I, I went a long ways, <laughs> which I was crashing, you know. I mean, I'm flipping. I didn't jump that far. I just uh, was flipping on the, you know. But, uh, yeah, um, it was a clean break. had surgery the, that night, and, uh, you know, most of that stuff is pretty serious, and uh, it, it messes with people um, mentally more than anything like um i know physically you know you have different people tell you different stuff different doctors tell you different stuff when i broke my femur laying on the ground i thought i I just i was trying to get my pro license so i was halfway on my points and uh you only had a year to get your points so i thought man i'm not gonna get my points in a year and i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to start over and there's just all these thoughts going through my head because my timetable was six months because that's just the thing you hear it's just like a knee oh six eight months dude i don't find any of that actually true everybody's body is different everybody's gonna work harder to get better especially how their mental state is um i think if you stay very positive uh you're going to recover faster and you're going to want to get back on a bike faster because you have a positive mentality of this is what I want to do. This is what so that was mine. I was like so focused on I've got to get back. I've got to get back. So 10 weeks after breaking my femur, I was back not just riding, but I was actually went to a race 10 weeks after breaking my femur. Six months after breaking my femur, I was lining up at Redbud to try and qualify for my first ever outdoor national. Uh, so... I mean, it, like I said, it's all what you put into it, uh, and it's all, to me, a lot of it, it's, it's based on your mental aspect of how soon you want to get back to riding, uh, how soon you want to recover, because uh, like I said, I was way ahead of, uh, of like where the uh, physical therapists and stuff wanted me at, but I was going to physical therapy uh, three times a week, and I was going to my personal trainer twice a week, so I was doing overtime. I was doing way more than the average person would probably do. Um, but I was, I was at a level of, of racing and trying to, uh, trying to be at a level with racing where, um, you know, I, that's, that's what I had to do to be able to get back. And, um, but with a, with a femur, you have a rod and like my doctor told me that you can do whatever pain will take because you're, it's, it's not going anywhere. You have a rod holding your leg together. It's, it's not going anywhere. So I, I did what he said. I mean, I, I fought the pain and I, I got back as soon as possible. Um, and I, but I will say this too. Um, it bothered me mentally for a while. Even though I, I got back to riding, I still had these little things where I, I was scared to dab my foot in the corner. Um, I just I wasn't as aggressive uh, as I was before. And it took me, man, it probably took a good year, year and a half, before I really got back to where I was before that. So um, I guess my advice to that is it's got to be on the mental side. You've got to stay positive, and you've got to not – don't think about, like, the worst and, and what happened and all that. Think about the positive things. Think about the good times, the good stuff, and always be positive and keep your head up and be positive because that's what's going to let you forget about getting hurt or forget about being hurt, just, just being positive on it. Uh, Grayson, you got any injury well, things? That- well, I think that's why pro riders and uh, professional racers come back quicker than normal people. I mean – Dean Wilson's hurt, had countless amount of just horrible injuries and come back before anybody would ever expect him to, like the hip he did in October and he came back and he was racing Anaheim 1 in January and he's had multiple knees and that's why I think a lot of the the top name riders mentally, they're 
they're above everybody else and in their mental and physical status and willing to hurt and willing to sacrifice whatever they have to get back on the right track and racing and winning. Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's, you know, like I said, I knew, like, I had goals. I knew where I wanted to be. So uh, I I pushed for that. I strived for that because I had a, you know, like I said, I I wanted to, I had a place I wanted to be in racing. And uh, I knew I had to, I had to work hard and uh, I took the pain and I worked and uh, I got, you know, I got, got what I wanted. But then there's other times, man, I could have worked a lot harder and I could have, you know, if I could go back, I could do things a lot different, but you you can't do that. Uh, So, you know, on the topic of the uh, dealing with injury and all, it's a mental state. I think uh, you just got to be mentally strong and uh, mentally be positive about it um think of a guy like pastrana dude that guy's been and and but his attitude towards being hurt is it it doesn't hurt and it's just a minor setback and i'll be right back and so his his mental aspect of getting hurt is just it's pretty much not even there he doesn't doesn't think anything about being hurt or getting hurt and i think that really helps out a lot and i think uh you know i think you just got to be mentally positive like that to overcome injury and come back yeah, I think it helps with with your. Uh, I think it helps when your your attitude, and even in life, if anything happens, you have a good attitude about it. It helps in just being like, "Oh man, f this, f this. I'm never gonna ride again," and blah blah blah. And it's like if you think about it, it's like, "Man, I'm gonna heal from it. I'm still walking. I'm still breathing." Then it's it's an attitude problem. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that's our opinions on that. Um, Grayson, what you got? The regional schedule came out this week, and uh, me and you have been talking about a lot. Which one we're going to do? Which one can you do? Because you have a, hey, w- hey, a hey, wife, hey, and, hey, 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 hey. you have a wife and four kids to worry about, and I'm just a single dude living the life. Uh, but the the one thing I like about them is they did set a date where you can only sign up for one regional until a certain date if they were filled out. And me and you both know they're not going to get. They're not uh, well, <laughs> hold on now. Go read Facebook right now. It's a meltdown because people can't get signed up because the website's like going slow because probably it's overloaded because all of you are trying to jump on there. Alert, alert. I don't want to make anybody mad with this. I don't think, and, and I said this in 2018 when I was at an area qualifier that was extremely muddy and they were wasting my time trying to figure out if they're going to race or not. It doesn't matter what place you get at an area qualifier because I don't know when the last time or if ever I've went to a regional and they had 64 people in the class. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably happened once or twice in history, but it's not very common that there are 64 riders in your class at your regional. In 2018 when we did one, Ryder, my oldest son, got 16th at his area qualifier, and we showed up in 57-8, the biggest class at any regional, Loretta's anywhere, and we made it in with room to spare there was you know they could have took more kids there was not 64 there and i just i they're taking 72 and everybody's flipping out i'm like you can't even sign up for more than one right now so there's no there's absolutely no way it's going to fill up because there's a lot of people that ride and race that they know their kid's not going to make it they're not going to spend a thousand dollars to go somewhere to hope they make it they're just not in it that much they're just yeah. not that die hard yeah. and uh I, I get you know that you know it's hey good on mx sports for getting everybody to you know go all crazy with this and get all the money up front but i just it's like i said earlier in the thing motocross is not as big as a lot of people want to think it is uh there's not as many people racing there's a lot of people riding 
not as many people racing and racing at that kind of level. Um, so, yeah, I don't – I mean, I'm not worried about that I have to wait till my wife gets her work schedule so I know which weekends I have available so she doesn't have to work. I'm not, I'm not worried about it because I don't – I honestly don't see any of them filling up. Now, maybe, you know, some classes might get close to filling up or fill up once you can sign up for more. Um, but we'll see. I kind of wish that uh, they would have done the thing I was thinking – I'm glad they did it to where you can only sign up for one, but I was thinking, hey, you can only sign up for one. It has to be your home region. Yeah. I don't want to have to go – I don't want to go to Freestone. I don't want my kids to have to go to Three Palms. Um, not that – I'm just not a big fan of Freestone for me. I had a, just – I just have bad luck at Freestone. Um, and then my kids uh, – Three Palms is sandy, man, and a little bit – little bikes, and my kids not having experience in, the, in deep sand like that. I'm just – I would rather us go somewhere where they could – fair fair a little bit better um but hey if the rules were you can only go to your home region i'd take it and because to me that limits a lot of these people that and i know i've had people laugh about it when i say rich families but i mean it's it's just the truth money can get you far money can help you get farther in this sport than somebody that doesn't have money Uh, a lot of kids that don't have money get overlooked people that have money and they can take their kid to these training facilities all the time they can live on the road they go to all these big races that kid's going to progress a lot faster and he's going to want to stick with it a lot longer than maybe say a kid that doesn't have the money but maybe he's got more talent because of the way everything is set up uh, or, or he likes it more and he's into it more than his, yeah exactly uh, his he's got trying to drag him around and uh, yeah he's got more heart and drive and uh i've actually my buddy carrie smith mechanic for a kid and he wrote in this about um you know about kids getting burnt out and i don't want to talk about it a ton on this i would really like to have carry on because he lived it he lived with a kid that they had unlimited money and uh carry took him all around and the kid had no he could care less yeah. you know he, he just he didn't have that drive or care had factory support and he just he didn't care and uh I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of these kids that, you know, if it if it all boiled down to it, they would probably just step away from it. But mom and dad are putting all this money in, and it's more for mom and dad. And uh, maybe if we did stuff more on a regional basis instead of a national basis, uh, you could you could find some of this talent because they don't, you know, they, they wouldn't have to travel as much. They wouldn't have to go to these, you know, showcase at these bigger races. But um, that's the thing where, you know, you can people can prove you wrong that it doesn't matter. Um at the pro level, you get some guys that are, where you know, not highly uh, high amateurs, high level amateurs, and they come in as pros and they make it. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, I guess another topic for another day when we have more time. So, uh, yeah, Grayson, back on the regional thing, um, I'm shooting for uh, Aonia Pass for me and Lincoln Trail for the kids. If uh, if those schedules work out, that's kind of the two I'm looking at. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. I'm not gonna go to. We. I know we were trying to look at. To I was just gonna go with you to a vet one, but I'm just ride college boy. It's a sportsman class. I'm not riding with. Plus thirty is a sportsman's class. I'm riding it. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm sadly not old enough for any of the vet classes. Yeah, but I'm one of the guys that the some of the vet guys complain about because they're like, "Oh, that guy was a pro, and he, you know, it's not fair." They, but hey, dude, I, I work and have. I don't ride hardly ever. And I don't get to train ever. I have four kids and I work full time. So what's my advantage over a guy that, yeah, he wasn't, a, he never got a pro license and was pro, but he gets to ride during the week. He gets to race and ride every weekend because he doesn't have kids. He doesn't have a full time, you know, well, he might have a full time job, but he doesn't have to, 
he doesn't have somebody to take care of on the weekends like that's more of an advantage or these guys that are trainers at training facilities and they still ride they're riding all the time like come on now they have more of an advantage than me just because you were an ex-pro to me doesn't that doesn't give you like more of an advantage or you know or not i mean you know if you're if you got talent and skill and you can go fast and you know win or whatever it is what it is there's there's gonna be somebody that's fast in every class so but enough with that um Anything? Else? What What were you going to say on which regional you want to go to, Grayson? Uh, I really don't care what region. I probably won't go to any. If I was going to go to one, I would trust probably ride with you and chill out of vet one because I think it'd be cool to watch the the pro sport classes and the college boy classes and like fast classes like, like that. Plus thirty, yeah. plus twenty five. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I maybe yeah. see maybe see J Law go up north. See J Law <laughs> ride plus twenty five. Yeah. But uh, I just wish the and I'm biased about this, but I just wish the the tracks were closer. I mean, we're like, you don't have any in Alabama. It's like, really, I'm biased, but I mean, it'd be cool to have a monster or Mill Creek or something, a regional right there. Well, but I'm just, that's me being biased. Yeah. Well, they're not, they're not in the circle. We could talk about that later too, about, you know, if you notice the same tracks have regionals every year, they just swap if it's youth or amateur and uh, it's, you got to be in that circle. But, all right, we're going to take another commercial break and we'll be back in a minute. Looking for a new KTM Husqvarna or Beta? Maybe you just need some parts and accessories or even service. Graham KTM has the largest selection of off-road motorcycles in the Mid-South. Owned and operated by motorcycle enthusiasts, Graham KTM is the shop to go to. With over 100 bikes in stock, Graham, T Graham KTM is sure to have the bike for you. Check out the current inventory at GrahamKTM.com or stop by and take a look around the showroom in Senatobia, Mississippi. All right, guys, we're back from that commercial break. Um, since that was a Graham KTM commercial, if you could, uh, if you're in the market for a KTM or Husqvarna, check out GrahamKTM.com for all your KTM Husqvarna needs. And this leads us into our Graham KTM Bike of the Week. And this week, we don't have a bike that is going to be a leftover super killer price this week. We want to kind of build the anticipation for something we are doing a bike build on right now. So we're currently building a 2020 300XC Graham Factory Edition. So this is uh, something that we put together. It will come with pretty much everything that any off-road racer would want on their bike. And uh, it's going to have custom graphics and all on it. So it's going to be pretty cool. So keep your eyes peeled to Graham KTM Facebook and Instagram pages. Uh, we'll hopefully have this thing posted not long after the pod, this podcast episode comes out. So this will lead us into our last few things this week on the pod. And it'll just be going over some of the listener questions we had. Uh, so I had one, Jeremy Shaw wrote in, just wanting to know about the road to Loretta's. Like, the challenges that you come across at areas and regionals what it takes to actually make Loretta's and then what it is once you actually make Loretta's so uh, for me growing up it was kind of a just a, a given that we were gonna go do areas and regionals every year um, and at a young age I was I was lucky enough to be talented that I qualified for Loretta's pretty early on and it was a thing of like once you make it um, you get a mindset of like you're gonna make it so 
you go into regionals and yeah they're they're tough they're hard there's you know a lot of fast kids you want to look at names and but you psych yourself out that so you kind of need to go in as it's just a race and not worry about who's there or or anything like that um so like i said yeah i i went in a lot of times with confidence and you get good results but there was times when i was younger and you went in and were worried about who's there and uh it definitely psychs you out um but i guess to, you know it's really not any different than any normal race on on what to be prepared for um areas especially i mean they're just kind of local races that have more people there your regionals yeah you got three motos so you want to try and be more consistent you don't want to go out there if you go out there and you crash and get 40th i mean you're done i mean I, i've had times where i, I got 12 or uh, i'm trying to think of in 15 when i rode plus 25 i think i got like a 15th in the first moto but then i had a third in the last moto so you think hey this guy's a no and i got like ninth overall i mean you can't you can't have that bad moto you have that bad moto and and it's it's done so uh at regionals your main thing is be consistent don't fall on the ground um keep it on two wheels take that third take that fourth because heck take that seventh or eighth because those that consistency is what's going to actually get you as a, a top six overall and get you qualified um and then like i mean once you get to loretta's that's where the real test is 20 minute motos it's hot humid super rough and rutted track unlike anything that most people ever get to ride that's where the real hard stuff comes in that's where you have to be prepared you have to have the last few months have been riding tracks that are going to get you prepared for that and be in shape i would say for kids you know i mean they're going to be in shape they can ride 20 minutes whatever whether they've been riding 20 minute motos or not I mean, they're out there having fun they're so more theirs is going to be more on the the mental side keeping those kids from being psyched out and just making them understand that it's an important race but it's not that important it's not life or death it's not it's not going to define your career or not. I mean, there's kids that win Loretta's and don't amount to anything. There's kids that go to Loretta's one time and become some of your next best pros. So um, it's an important race, yes, and it is great to go and learn, but it's not end-all, be-all. It's not the it, – it's just, you know, I think some people take it a little bit too serious. Um, and, you know – when you do take it that serious, you psych yourself out a lot. So to be mentally prepared, try not to psych yourself out, go into the big stage. Grayson, have you uh, ever attempted Loretta's or have any advice on no. anybody that's like sea level that would uh, be trying to go? No, I didn't. Do you have any advice? Hit me up. Tell me. Tell me what you can. What you've been. Because <laughs> I don't. No, I, don't, I never. We went to areas and regionals because my sister would would ride and uh she made it to like freestone regional and I, I was just a little kid just running around the track with my on my bicycle so i have no idea what what they were doing and uh i know i have no experience with big races like that yeah i mean like i said it's all it's all just what you think it is it's all it's all mental um and and yeah there you know if you're not riding if you're not racing regularly several times a month if you're not riding every weekend yeah, I mean, you're not going to be at the level that you need to be at. But if you're if you are doing that and you are winning your local races and you know, then you go, like I said, it's it's a mental thing, man. I, I know a lot of kids that they go to a, a regional and they don't ride even close to the kind of rider they actually are local wise because they psych themselves out. I mean, I did it a lot. I, I would go and that was one thing that would make my dad mad when I was a kid. 
he would get so mad if we went somewhere and I just didn't ride like my normal self. And he would be like, what do you, what do you do when you're not, like, you're better than that. I've seen you ride. I've seen you race. You can do better than that. But it, it's, it's psyching yourself out. It's a mental game. And uh, this sport is big time mental, especially when you get to a, a very competitive side of it. Um, so if you're mentally strong and you mentally stay positive and stay focused, you will have a lot better results than if you're not. I mean, that's, heck, take 2018 when I went to Loretta's. I mean, I, I won area qualifiers. I go in and I beat guys at area qualifiers that worked me at regionals. And, I, and these guys beat me at Loretta's actually, but I could beat them on more of a local, local stage. Um, and, you know, you go to a bigger race and uh, there's so many more elements. Um, there's a, and there's a lot more mental-wise that can, that can play into that. I know when we went to Redbud for the regional, it rained, and I'm not the greatest in the mud, and that had a, a lot to do with it. And the, after the first moto of having some bad luck, it just mentally, like, you tell your you, – you start downing yourself and downing things when something bad happens, and that's the wrong way to do it. You need to be positive and think that, hey, I can turn this around. And, uh, I mean, dude, I, I led a lap at – at the regional and crashed out front because it, it was muddy and I'm trying to push. I'm, I'm thinking, dude, I'm gonna push. I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna work them this moto because the first moto I got tenth. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work them this moto and show them. And it, it doesn't work in the mud. You've gotta, you gotta back it down. But I, I you know, mentally, I was, I, I thought that you know I had it in the bag and I didn't. And I got fifteenth at the regional and I got lucky to get in as an alternate. And then I go and back it up with nine seven nine moto finishes at Loretta's. So. Like I said, it's just because mentally I went into Loretta's knowing that I wasn't an alternate. I knew, like, I'm going in this thing to win motos, and, you know, and I, mean, I didn't win any. Um, maybe if I was in better shape, I could have got close. Could have got some podiums if I was in better shape. But, uh, like I said, you know, it is what it is um, on that for me. But if you can stay – if you stay mentally focused, mentally strong, uh, no matter how prepared you are – being a mentally strong rider is going to benefit more than anything. I mean, take a guy like Chad Reed, dude. That guy has done what he's done in his career because of how mentally strong he is. And uh, I think, you know, one thing a lot of people don't work on as racers is being mentally strong. They, they might go to this training facility and live there and ride all day, every day, but they're beat when they go to races because they mentally don't believe in themselves. They mentally don't think that they can be at that level. Uh, so that's that's my take on uh, on your road to Loretta's. Just uh, stay mentally strong and stay positive the entire time, no matter what it's going to throw at you, because you're going to encounter elements that you've never encountered before. And uh, all right, so the, our second one, uh, my buddy Josh Erie wrote in asking about e-bikes. And uh, at first, when I was messaging back, I thought he was talking about the new specialized turbo e-bikes that we have, mountain bikes and road bikes and uh so i got all excited about that he was actually asking about um like electric dirt bikes e-bikes um so i wanted to kind of touch on both of them and uh touching on the e-bike dirt bike side of it um the alta was pretty cool that they came out with i thought they had something going good um that technology is definitely new and something we're working on but my biggest thing on that is battery life. Uh, they don't have battery life down right now to really last. And I feel like until they can get battery life really working like we need it to work, I just, I don't know, don't know how well it's gonna be. 
But I will say on the little E50 that KTM and Husqvarna are making, that thing is amazing. Um, it's so much more responsive than a gas bike. It's going to be less maintenance, less parts you have to buy, and battery life on it. I mean, you can get your average kid, you can get a day at the motocross track out of it. You might not get a day at, in, the, in the woods for, like, you know, your off-road guys, but you can get a day at the motocross track with it. And that's kind of all we're really asking for. But... As you get faster riders, you get guys riding it wide open, more power, you kind of lack that a little bit. And uh, I just, my, my opinion on that is it's great technology. I think it's coming. I'm on board with it. Uh, I just, they, they've got to get the battery technology better before everybody's going to, before it's really a high seller and everybody's on board with it. You got any opinions on that, Grayson? I think they'll take a lot of stuff. Since Alta got bought from Harley, and Harley's going to work on the bike, because, I mean, when you're on a street bike, you want it to last hours. And so I think... Uh, they're probably gonna steal some technology with Har what Harley would be working on and probably steal it and take some stuff and put in uh, the dirt bike world just so we have, so you'd have a couple hours in a battery life and uh, you wouldn't have to worry about like charging it and being scared it'll die and you're in the middle of nowhere. So uh, I think that's what they're gonna try to do, I would feel like. Yeah, that sounds, sounds like that would be a, a good idea. Harley's got plenty of money and they, you know, they, uh, which I know they kind of push some stuff back on their street side, but we'll see in the future what that brings. But um, moving back, moving on to the specialized e-mountain bikes. Dude, those things are amazingly good. Like, I took the, took it home uh, yesterday and rode on our little corner track, and I was pretty amazed by how good, like, the suspension and stuff is. I've never ridden an $8,000 mountain bike before, so getting on something like that and you can bomb the corners and like a dirt bike, I mean, hitting ruts and stuff. And the cool thing is because it's an e-bike, if it was a regular mountain bike, there's no way I would want to go up the hills out of these off-cambered corners on my on my turn track. But because it has the uh, the uh, e-bike, it's an e-bike, has the electric motor on it, the assist, I can, I can boost it up to turbo and I can make it up these hills and not kill myself and enjoy what I'm doing. So I'm not like dead after climbing this hill. I can actually worry about going down the straightaway and, and railing the next corner and having fun with it so uh if you want to have fun on a mountain bike you still want to get a workout you still want to get some exercise but you want to have fun e-bike is definitely the way to go and I, I know why mathis and those guys on pulp are like all about e-bike life because dude it is it is amazing like I, it is great i agree i think uh i took it and we did two separately different things you took it on a track and i just went like right on the road with it and uh, a lot of my friends and stuff who aren't in the sport we're talking like, oh, seriously, so it's you don't bike and it's like it's like a little dirt bike and it's like no, like I bought, I did like forty five minutes of it and my legs were tired, my legs were burnt out after it and I was, I was my le and they're still sore and it was it's a workout and it's just it helps you go longer and like you're, if there's a big hill and you you don't think you go to it, it's like you have that it's like a like a backup it's like oh I can always go to turbo and it just and it helped me a lot to get up the hills and there was never. It, I would feel like it'd be hard to find a, a hill big enough where like turbo can't help you out on, you know what I'm saying? It'd have to be something steep and big, like uh, more stuff than you should take on the mountain bike. Yeah, I agree. Um, it makes it to where like normally you might kill yourself on this hill and you can't, and you use so much energy that you can't finish your ride or, or it's just, it's miserable the whole time. And this makes it to where it's more enjoyable and, uh, I mean, you're still pedaling the whole time. You're still getting an exercise and a workout. You just, you get to ride a little bit longer. And uh, so it's, like I said, it's still, it's kind of the same thing. You're just, you're making the parts that would really wear you out and kill you to where you can't ride as long. 
you're kind of eliminating that and making it to where you can enjoy it for a longer period of time and make it, you know, make it just a more enjoyable sport. Um, because look, I've, I've ridden road bikes for a long ways and, uh, it's not that enjoyable. I mean, after you're a quarter of the ways into a long ride, you're, you're just pretty much hating it. Unless you're just like in crazy good shape. You're just, you pretty much just, you know, suffer fast just so you can, you know, build, build strength and, and build a, build cardio. But e-bike definitely makes it a lot more fun and enjoyable. Uh, that's enough on uh, e-bike talk because I know where uh, some of you guys that are not into e-bikes probably getting a, a little burnout. So uh, it will move on to the next thing. Um, so I had two questions uh, Travis Lee had wrote in. He wanted to know about the progression of bikes over the last 10 years. So Travis has not ridden um, since I think like 2012 or 13 or so. I'd have to ask him, but it, it's been getting close to 10 years. So he, he just doesn't... Uh, he hasn't kept up with it, and he was asking me about different things with Air Force and different stuff. So, oh, man. Um, man, if I had the bike that I have right now, 10 years ago when I was trying to ride Supercross and outdoors and stuff, like trying to be an actual pro, dude, I, I feel like I would be so much better because uh, I just feel so much better on a bike right now than I, than I did then. And uh, and it might just be because I don't, I don't remember exactly how I felt 10 years ago on a bike, but bikes feel so much better, just the geometry, that they've come up with on frames and uh, the weight of them. I mean, uh, dude, a new KTM or Husqvarna 450 weighs less than a 300 XC two-stroke, which yeah. is, I mean, mind-boggling. Mind like, you wouldn't think uh, 10 years ago they'd be like, you'd ever have numbers like that and comparing four-strokes and two-strokes and weight difference. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy that you got a, you can have a four-stroke that weighs that, that light. Um, and then, you know, on suspension and stuff, I mean, Look, you get a lot of bad stuff on air forks. I had Cowies with air forks. I didn't have a problem with them. Um, but I know they weren't the simplest. And, you know, people don't want to check the air pressure all the time. They don't, you know, it's a little difficult from some stuff. But I can say this. The WP air fork is super, super simple. It's way easier to change fork seals on it than a traditional fork. Um, you don't have to check the air pressure all the time. I mean, it's a, it's a great handling fork. Um, so, and, and like, it's it's going to be an opinion it's going to be really rider based but i think it's right there with the spring forks that they're putting on the the yamahas and the uh hondas and cowies now and uh you know i'm i'm a fan of of the of the wp air fork and uh but the way suspension has come in the last 10 years i mean dude i, I ride stuff stock and i don't really need anything done to it because it's it already for my for where i'm at you know level wise and weight wise a stock stock setting is pretty close to what I would need. I don't have to respring it or anything, and I know some people would need to respring it um, for weight, but other than respringing it, I mean, I don't really feel that you have to revalve them that much anymore. I mean, they're pretty good from the factory. Yeah, I think unless you're, you have to be doing some like being super fast and know what you're talking about and know what you're feeling to even think about revalving them. And uh, I, I went to school for it and I took my forks apart and just, like see what the valve actually did and changed it. And I, I mean, I felt the difference because I was doing it myself and like knowing what to change. And, and unless you know, and, and you know, and you had forks that are this way or this or another way, and you know what you're feeling, you're not gonna tell a difference. I know some companies, you'll send them off to have them revalve and they'll change your oil and send it back and take your money because they know you don't know what you're talking about. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. My dad's taken apart plenty of people's suspension that has stickers on it. It's supposed to be done and all. They haven't done anything to it. And uh, But like you said, if, if you don't know what you're doing, it's best to find a happy medium from stock and leave it. Leave it where it works good everywhere because if you don't know what you're feeling, you don't know how to tell somebody what to change, then you're really just kind of going backwards and getting way off by just trying to change stuff. So uh, you got to be educated on suspension. That's a huge thing. Be very educated on it. Uh, and I guess the other things they've changed on them, uh, I know... You know, KTM's had finger follower valve train for a while, um, and I saw that you know Honda's doing that on their 250, Kawasaki's doing it on their 450. They're trying to. A lot of people are copying that, and it's it's just so you can have over rev and not float valves. Uh, that's it's technology they brought from the road race side, and they brought from Formula One, and uh, you see them doing that. Uh, you see these guys uh, getting away from kickstarters. Everybody, Suzuki has electric start. That's one thing over the last 10 years that's been big. Uh, hydraulic clutches. You see that. Kawasaki's going the same way that KTM Husqvarna has. Uh, Honda's flirted with it some. Um, so, you know, other than other than those few little things of like that are actually technology adv advancements, I guess maybe like ECU electronics wise, that's like the next yeah. biggest thing that everybody's trying to tackle and go after. And I would say Yamaha's the leader in that. I know you, I know you like that, Grayson. You're gonna be over here. Oh yeah, <laughs> Yamaha. But they are man with the app and everything that they make it adjustable for the customer to remap a bike that's dude that's pretty cool i'm like why has ktm not come up with that yet i i do agree i do i love it i have i don't i unfortunately don't have the app because i don't have a new enough bike but i have the tuner and dude i'm messing with it all the time because you can feel it so much of a change going from like map to map and i don't even i don't i don't adjust it i just go on Kiefer's website and see like what he's testing what he likes and then i try it and it's a, a big difference and i'm just waiting for ktm to do that because they only have two maps and we, you can't remap it from factory after those two maps. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's going to, like I said, I think uh, electronics-wise, that's going to be a lot of stuff in the future they're going to be doing. Uh, obviously, they're going to upgrade suspension. They're going to always be trying to cut weight until uh, they can get to – I mean, they're almost at the limit, so they won't be able to cut weight too much more. But um, And then, you know, making the parts last longer. I can tell over the, over the last few years with four-strokes, um, the – longevity of the engines has gotten way better where you're not having to do as much rebuilds uh the valve life lasts longer uh top ends are lasting longer so these guys that used to be so scared of a 250 because of not being able to get a lot of time out of it i think that's kind of going away a little bit these bikes are lasting a lot longer than they used to yeah i do i do agree with that people are coming in and saying like after they're checking their valves after 10 hours and it's like nothing's changed in the past 100 hours of you checking your valves and it's amazing how they're that's the technology now is where you you don't have to yeah yeah especially on 350s and 450s a bigger bigger displacement not to do anything and um as fast as these things are coming and as good as they are out of the box you know having to do a lot of engine mods which are going to make longevity go down when you start doing modifications and since they're so good you're not having to do that anymore uh so yeah that's our opinion on the last uh bike progression over the last 10 years uh, the next one, last one for the day, was another one by Travis Lee. He just wanted to know why there aren't many good tracks in the area and what it would take to have one. And uh, he's more talking about Mississippi, not not which. And he he did say excluding Golden Pine because he Golden Pine was open when he was racing, um, so he he knows about he knows how good Golden Pine is. Um, and so to answer this a little bit, it's it's a few things. One thing is money. Uh, it takes a lot of money for these track owners to buy 
First thing, a lot of land. It takes a lot of land to have a big outdoor national style track. Say is something like Golden Pine, something like Wildwood, um, Monster Mountain, Mill Creek. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have, you've got to buy a lot of acreage to build a track like these tracks. Uh, and on, on top of that, you've got to have the equipment to work these tracks. So it takes money to start and, and build these tracks like that. But then once you, once you, if you do have money, there's been guys come in that have money. Um, they so they, they have money, they, they have they want to build this track, they buy this land, but then they don't know how to work a track. They don't know how to build a track. They don't know what kind of jumps to build or what's going to work or or anything like that because they just maybe they're not involved in motocross. They just they just got involved because maybe their kids are involved in it or whatever the reason. Um, and that typically doesn't usually work that well. You've got to know how to work the dirt. You've got to know how how deep to disc it, how much water to put in it. And every time you open your doors, your jumps need to have good faces on them. Your track needs to be prepped as best that you can prep it. If, if, if you don't, if you can't water it good enough in the summertime, don't open it. Because one weekend of it being dusty and dry, there's a lot of people that aren't going to come back after that. Yeah, you get so a, you get a bad like if people come for the first time, you get a bad first time experience. And I've had that with tracks where it's like I went the first time and I hated it the way they prepped it, the way it was, and then. I mean, I just went back and like months later I came back and it was the day that like it rained, it rained on the day before or something, they were prepping it and uh, I loved it after that. So it's like you, you have bad first time experiences. Yeah, I agree. And I was, there's tracks that, you know, you go consistently and uh, and they're not prepped right and, and people, they, they lose support for that. So I, I mean, one of the biggest things for a track owner is you've got to have your track prepped right. and. Um, I see tracks doing stuff and they're, they're not, you've got to water it a lot. And if you put a lot of water on it, that means you've got to disc it or till it deep. Because if you don't, it's going to be muddy and sloshy on top. So you've got to do it. You've got to till it deep. You've got to put a lot of water in it because it needs to be muddy the first practice. And then it's going to last throughout the day and you don't have to chase it. If it's dry in the first practice, you're going to chase your tail and water in it all day. And it's never going to be, you're never going to. You're never going to catch up. It's always going to be dry, and you're going to lose people for that. So have it deep. Have it watered a lot. Have it to where it's muddy in the first practice, and it actually lasts all day. It's going to get ruts then. It's going to be more enjoyable for the majority of the people that are going to come to your track. And uh, you're going to build a, a bigger rider base because of that, and that's what's going to help you later on building to be a bigger track and being successful. Um, that's been the biggest thing around here. These tracks are just not – they're not putting in the track owners just don't put in enough work and aren't prepping tracks right to get the following that they need to continue to grow and be a big, a big track and uh the only other way would just like i said at the beginning you'd have to be just just rich guy to come in and buy land and, and get somebody to come build you this track and but a lot of times that doesn't work because they don't know how to they don't know how to maintain it unless they hire guys to come in and maintain the track for them then they just don't know what to do and uh I think that's uh, one of the reasons we don't have a bunch of good tracks in the area and we haven't kept a bunch of good tracks is because they're not prepped right and people lose interest in them, so they travel. You know, I mean, it's a thing where guys like, yeah, I can drive an hour to this track that's not prepped that good or I can drive three to Monster Mountain and it's amazing. So they drive that three hours to Monster Mountain and they skip over their local track because it's it's just not as good. And, uh, and, and I don't think layout and jumps and all that is as much of people's deal. I think track prep is the number one thing. I think if the track's prepped really good, 
people are going to go. Unless it's just some insane track with a bunch of large jumps that's going to get a bunch of people hurt. But if it's your average track, um, I think if it's prepped right, I think that's what's going to keep your crowd and keep your customers coming back and, and build your customer base larger. Yeah, that's what you need to be invested in the sport, and you need to love what you're doing and love dirt bikes. You can't just be like, oh, I'm trying to do this for money because then you end up, it won't get you anywhere. Yep, yep, exactly. So that's mine and Grayson's take on uh, on why we don't have that many good tracks in the area and what it would take to have one. It just take uh, heart and passion and a little bit of money or maybe a lot of money. So uh, anyway, uh, this is going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Uh, if you guys could, uh, check out Graham KTM for any of your uh, KTM Husqvarna needs. And uh, listen in next week. We'll have another episode. Thank you for listening.